Good morning, Living Hope Church. Happy New Year. My name is Craig. I'm an elder here um, at Living Hope, who oversees men's ministry. We want to welcome you to our Testimony Sunday. It is a long-standing tradition here at Living Hope. And in light of our four-part mission statement, which is experiencing God, embracing truth, establishing community, and engaging the world, we invite our congregants of the church to speak about how our transcendent and eminent God has been gently yet sharply at work in their lives. As these testimonies are shared, we get a glimpse to how God is transcendent. He is the Lord of the cosmos, sovereign over the rotation of the galaxies and over everything there is and over the very next breath that you take. He's ordained all things and weaving all circumstances and situations together for his glory and for the good of those who love him. He is more majestic and powerful than our finite minds can ever comprehend. But the God of the glories is also eminent. He is not only the creator of all things, but the sustainer of all things. And he is ever near, dwelling within us and illuminating the dark caverns of our souls by the Spirit, which is at work renovating our hearts. This Advent season, we took a deep dive into the incarnation of Christ. And as an ultimate expression of God's eminence, that incarnation is that the king of kings abandoned the riches of heaven to be clothed in flesh, to be constrained by time and the limits of physicality. He grew hungry, he grew tired, he mourned, and he suffered. He was born to die. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we will witness today, testimonies encourage and remind our hearts of Christ's light shining in, the, in our darkness and providing that light. Amen? As we bear witness to the light of Christ in our lives through our testimonies, we bring glory to God in the highest. But there's also a horizontal benefit of testimonies. They are like a, a pebble being cast in a still pond that sends waves rippling out in every which direction. And they cover every inch of that pond or every congregant in the church. Now, every testimony may not have the same impact on you, but I ask you to be like Ezekiel and listen intently for the whisper of God. 
that could, par- that could change the trajectory of your life for 2023. It could be a scripture verse. It could be an interpretation. It could be a paraphrase. It could be a single word that sticks out like a sore thumb. That you run home and you look at that word throughout God's word. And that trajectory, that path of searching that word out in God's word will put you on a new path. It'll open your eyes and that journey, more importantly, will change how you respond to the world and those that are in it. Pray against pride today. Pray that, that your eyes be opened. Pray that your hearts be softened. Pray for revival and about how you hear the living Lord at work in others' lives. Pray that what is heard today will not simply be dismissed or forgotten, but that the word and work of God heard today would be planted deep within the soil of your heart and that it would percolate in your thoughts and in your actions. Pray that people of God may be encouraged. Amen. Without further ado, I ask you to give your attention to Holly as she comes up and tells us how God has moved her life. Good morning. I'm back. My name is Holly. I know most of you, but for those of you who don't know me, I have a husband, Tim, a nine-year-old, Heidi, and a six-year-old, Sammy. I'm on the coffee and hospitality team here at Living Hope. My husband and I lead the young adult ministry here called Dynamic, and he and I also co-lead a life group in New Freedom with Chris and Becky Rep. I'm a little nervous speaking in front of a big crowd today in the microphone, which is honestly a little silly because my degree from a psychologist public speaking, <laughs> but I think I'm out of practice. That was a long time ago. This is my fourth, testi- my fourth testimony Sunday, and I've been a witness for the past three, and I remember sitting and hearing these amazing stories and thinking to myself, oh, I wonder if I'll ever have a powerful story to go up there and share. Probably not. <laughs> so the Lord had other plans for me this year, and I'm excited to share with you what he's done in my life. My entire adult life, I've been pretty uptight, type A, very controlling with um, many areas in my life. It was, and sometimes still is, difficult for me to trust anyone else's plan. Because naturally, I think mine is always the best one. Minor things, like getting a ride to a dinner reservation and being totally unreasonably worried about not getting there on time, to major things like life decisions, homeowning, family planning, job choices, etc. Probably my biggest lack of control life lesson was the out of control feeling I had when we lost a baby in between our current two children in 2015. I hadn't planned that, of course, which led to a lot of hurt, anger, and anxiety, and taking a long time to trust the Lord again. I got back on my feet, grew closer to the Lord over a couple years after that happened, and here I am now. But I will have to rewind a little bit and explain my job before I get to the exciting part of my story today. I am very blessed in that I'm able to work from home. 
I grew up competing and training horses, and after I finished my degree at college and got married, I decided I would become a full-time trainer, and it allows me to make my own schedule, be with my kids as much as possible, and I get all of the benefits of working at home on my farm and not in an office. Again, I'm extremely blessed. So part of that job is teaching riding lessons, showing client horses, training and showing my own investment horses, and everything in between. About one year ago, I purchased a new investment horse. His name was Judge, and he was coming along really nicely as a new project. Spring came, things were going really great, you know, just the way I planned. Um, and things were busy and smooth. June 5th was a beautiful Sunday. I was tired from a busy season so far, and I decided that I would show the first weekend in June, and then I'd have a two to four week break because I really felt like I needed time off. That was an ironic thought. I planned out that I could be showing from 8 a.m. that morning to 8.30 after warming Judge up from 7 a.m. to 7.45 a.m., be home by 9.15, and be at church on time. We were at Summit Grove that day. Most of you were there. It was the 15-year Living Hope anniversary picnic, and I was certainly not going to miss that. And then I planned to end my wonderfully crafted day by hosting a bridal shower at my farm in the evening. I literally thought to myself the day before, Holly, you are crushing it. Tomorrow is going to be awesome. Spoiler alert, tomorrow was not awesome. What was supposed to be an easy warm-up on my horse turned into him jumping the first fence of the day at exactly 7.30 a.m., not on schedule, jumping the first jump of my warm-up like six feet higher than he was supposed to, and me landing face first into the ground. I caught my breath, lying in the sand. I immediately noticed about 50 people staring at me. Then I noticed my left eye starting to close, EMTs rushing towards me, blood pouring out of my nose, all of this super exciting stuff, and I realized I'm probably going to be late to Summit Grove. Fast forward to a 45-minute ambulance ride to York, a trauma bay visit, lots of needles, some x-rays. It was now determined I would not be going to church at all because my orbital bone was broken and I had two compound fractures in my vertebrae. Okay, I thought, I'm not paralyzed. That's good. I bet I can still make it to the picnic. Second spoiler alert, I did not make it to the picnic. A matter of fact, I also didn't make it to the bridal shower. I had to spend the night in the hospital, and I was now getting more than a couple weeks off that I was so excited to get. I got 13 weeks off, a back brace, a cane in the beginning, a meal train, canceled horse shows, canceled vacations, eye doctor appointments, many neurosurgeon appointments. It was pretty scary and definitely the most serious injury I've ever had. There were a lot of moments I was not sure I would really ride again. Doing simple tasks was frequently painful. So how on earth could I ever get on a horse again? There was now no plan. But you know what else I got in the middle of all of this painful recovery? Time. I prayed in the ICU at York that the time I knew I would be having off would not be wasted. And he answered that prayer. I could get emotional talking about how wonderful this church was to me during this time. But I'm not going to go into detail. The Lord has grown me in so many ways. 
and I know the difference between our loss in 2015 and my injury in 2022 was my response. God did not want to take my baby from me seven years ago. He just wanted my heart. He didn't want me to suffer all summer with a broken back this past year. He just wanted my heart. The acceptance and peace that came with everything from my time off was a joy and a blessing. I was able to spend more time with my children, renew my mind and faith in powerful ways through my daily devotions and a lot more time in prayer. I can now worship the Lord with a much more powerful connection, and I've dived back into scripture memorization even. The biggest thing about the time off was I was now, I am, and was able to invest a lot more time in the younger women in my life. Starting then and even now, there are a handful of women 10 to 15 years younger than me that I've been able to pour into, and the Holy Spirit has used me for his plan, not mine. The Lord wants us with him. The Lord wants us to trust his plan, not ours. He is God, not us. The end of the story is a happy one, and I love talking about it because it's a great opportunity to share how good God is to us. My back feels amazing, and while my face isn't 100%, I've had no vision damage, and I easily could have. I sold that horse, and he's doing great. I'm riding and showing again successfully with some renewed anxiety, but a renewed chance to trust the Lord and use caution at the same time. I'm not paralyzed or dead, and a few vertebrae higher I could have been. It's foolish of me not to talk about how awesome God has been and is. The Lord wanted me here to share what he's done, and I'm excited that I can be used by him now rather than feel inconvenienced because maybe it wasn't on my schedule for that day. On my bad days and good, I have a new assurance that my hands and feet are working for him and not me, and it's a privilege to have that responsibility. One of my favorite worship songs says it so powerfully, Your kindness leads me to repentance. Your goodness draws me to your side. Your mercy calls me to be like you. And your favor is my delight. Every day I'll awaken my praise and pour out a song from my heart. You are good, you are good, you are good, and your mercy is forever. Thank you so much for letting me share my story with you today. I hope it's encouraged you to trust the Lord's plan for you and to see his kindness and mercy and be used for his work. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Holly. God is in control. I sometimes have to remind myself every day of that. Uh, so I'd like to also call up uh, Jacob and Bria now to uh, give their testimony as to how God has moved their lives. Amen. So to give a little background to this story, um, I thought I'd start with the beginning of our relationship. I've been coming to Living Hope since I was 17, and it was uh, shortly after that that I met my wife. Uh, my wife, when she was still my girlfriend, we were just dating. She started coming with me that year. We got engaged in 2012. Pastor Tim married us in 2014. And then over the next six years, we had three kids together, and we were well on our way towards building the future that we had been planning since we were uh, young and had gotten together. We attended church, and I served on the worship team, but to be honest, 
we struggled to feel like we really fit in. We at times felt like we didn't really belong, that we were, you know, zebras among horses, and that we were just going through the motions and doing church as like a performative act and not as a true uh, commitment and lifestyle. When 2020 happened and COVID happened, lockdowns and all that, we fell further into this frustration and isolation. Bria especially was feeling burnt out and checked out on the idea of church, not just living hope. I met with Tim and said we were thinking about taking a break, and I felt like my family's needs and especially my wife's weren't being met, and that we had to, we needed to consider seeing if God was calling us to go to a different church. Even though this was a struggle, um, but even this was a struggle, though, as Bria was going in through a season of depression and not really seeing the point of going to church at all. 2020 and the lockdowns led to financial issues as well. Uh, For those who don't know, I've really since high school been involved in a family business with my father, my brother, um, and the shop continued to go through hard times. I was working more and more hours for less and less money, and the hunt for another church had come up empty. In 2021, we started attending Living Hope again, but it was only sporadically, and our home life was strained. As I tried to balance the financial hardships and the long hours, we loved each other, we were committed to each other and our children, but everything was a struggle, and depression and bitterness were creeping into most areas of our lives. Then late in September 2021, my father was diagnosed with COVID, and a week later he was in the hospital. And for the entire month of October, my dad was medically induced in a coma on a ventilator fighting for his life. And at one point, things were so bad that the doctors were telling us over the phones that we had to prepare to come in and to say our goodbyes. During this time, our small family business, which had already been struggling, went spiraling down into a complete financial meltdown. Then my father miraculously pushed through and was able to come off the ventilator and wake back up. It took many weeks for him to be fully conscious and aware again. It was apparent the fight for his life took a lot out of him, but he was alive and breathing on his own. He soon went into rehab, and then he was able to come home by Christmas. But the good news of my dad was slightly tempered by the bad news about the family business. We were out of money, and the writing was on the wall. We talked to the family and agreed that it was time to sell the business and that we would all have to go our separate ways and find jobs elsewhere. The Lord provided a new job for me in my area of expertise, and I started a new chapter of my professional life in January of 2022. Now, before my dad got sick, Bria and I had also discovered she was pregnant, and we were going to have our fourth child sometime in May of 2022. This pregnancy was especially hard on Bria, And the events of 2021 and the financial stress of the job change certainly didn't help. We only made it to church on occasion. We were still just coasting and getting by on grit and the skin of our teeth. Micah was born in May, and the joy of bringing a child into the world and seeing our family grow was juxtaposed with this sad feeling of isolation and wariness both my wife and I felt. 
I started to talk to Bria more about how I felt as though the last couple years of us not going to church weren't good for our family, and Bria agreed. She felt that we needed to start going back to church more regularly, if for nothing more than giving our kids a positive religious upbringing and social interaction. We started attending again with cold, tempered expectations as we felt as though Living Hope was the best church we could find in our area and it was familiar to us, but it would never quite feel as though we were completely part of it. We agreed this was unfortunate, but that God wanted us to value and commit going to church not merely for what we hope to get out of it, but for our kids and for the sake of obedience to Scripture. What happened next was unexpected. The first Sunday back in a while, we heard Tim preach a sermon that seemed to speak to exactly where both of us were, that we both needed to be committed to obeying God and connecting to him and his word, and that church fellowship and relationships are good and important, but that they come second and after obedience to God and putting work into our relationship with him. Our kids left their classes that Sunday, begging us to bring them back next week as they knew that church was not something that we regularly committed to, and they didn't know if they could count on coming back. So our resolve was, and our faith was strengthened, and we started regular weekly attendance from that Sunday forward. And something incredible happened, and it seems cliche to say this, and I've told Tim this in our conversations, but we started going to church weekly, and then just things in our life started to radically change and improve. God continued to work and to show up in our lives. At home, we began praying together and reading the Bible and talking about God as a family. Church became something we looked forward to every week. When life groups and women's groups started up, Bria was excited to get plugged in, and our families were excited to find a life group to settle into. Instead of church being something that we couldn't figure out how to fit into our lives, suddenly the rest of our lives felt like we had to find a way to fit those into our regular church routines and life groups and finding time to regularly dive into God's word and prayer at home. I called Tim late in September and shared this with him and how things had began to break for us and Bria was starting to really connect to God and her faith in ways I hadn't seen before. When we attended a baptism after church one Sunday, Bria was incredibly moved by the sight of uh, young teenagers being filled with love for God and a desire to express their faith to the the world. Bria had been baptized when she was seven, but she had, you know, it was done so young that it, it didn't have the same meaning for her that she saw that it had for these, uh, these older, older teenagers. Well, then October hit, and October seemed to be when trials come in our family. Out of the blue, Bria one night suddenly felt these strange symptoms in her arm, uh, pins and needles, and her arm was falling asleep and not waking up, and she was barely able to, to, to move it at one point. The next month was a whirlwind as at first the doctors told her she was just facing an anxiety episode and then they were telling her she had a blood clot and they started putting her on blood thinners to bust the clot, only for later on to be told that they weren't really sure if she had a blood clot or not and they weren't exactly sure one way or the other what was wrong. (laughs) The doctors didn't have answers for us as to what was going on. The only sure thing Bria and I knew and agreed upon was that this was a trial of faith. 
and that the enemy wanted to rob our family and Bria specifically of the newfound joy and revival of her faith in God and connection to church. We knew that while doctors and the experts of men couldn't give us any assurances that God and his promises did. And during this time, the church rallied around us with meals and visits and a sense of community. And I continued to see Bria not only persevering through this hardship, but her faith and the love of the Lord only multiplied. Bria today is now off the blood thinners, and while we are still working as a family to make sure that Bria and all of us are healthy and developing healthy habits with our bodies in this new year, the through line in all of this is the revival of faith that God has done in our home. And we know that we have, we have now come to see Living Hope as our home and that we are truly part of this family to the point now where we are going to become committed participants this year, and Bria is going to get baptized again so that she can proclaim to the world her faith in God. That's all I had written down. I didn't have a great conclusion to put to the end of that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's, that's where we're at, and we've just been so incredibly blessed this past year, and uh, like I said, we were we were burnt out and we felt disconnected and we were just going through the motions and God showed up. And when we were singing those worship songs this morning, the part, you know, God running after us, that's what he did this year. And he did that through through Living Hope. And so we're just so glad to be here and part of this family. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob and Bria. Thank you for the clear illustration of seeking the kingdom first and all will be added. Praise God. At this time, I'd also uh, like to invite up Brianna to uh, give her testimony as to how God has moved her life. Thank you, Brianna. A little tall, right? Uh, my name's Brianna, um, and I'm looking at the faces of my family who had no idea I'd be standing here today. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to do this as best I can. I, too, am very good at public speaking, but this is uh, a little different. So, <clears throat> uh, I have an incredible husband who puts up with more than he should from a strong type A personality who is always right. Holly, I think our husbands could probably trade stories. I have two lovely children, Nathan and Bridget, who are both my greatest joy and my greatest cause for stress. And I have my mother, who is, as many mother-daughters are, my best friend and the person who has no problem putting me in my place daily. <clears throat> two years ago today... I stood in an ICU room at St. Joe's, being asked the hardest questions of my life. <clears throat> Should we intubate him? That's what he says he wants. My dad was awake and talking through gasping breaths, partially from COVID and partially from seeing my mom and hearing her voice for the first time in six days. The strongest man I have ever known my foundation was weak and fading. Intubation was a go, uh, but when should we do it? 
I couldn't stand to watch his chest heave again, so I ran from the room to find his doctor and say, it's now, it has to be now. An hour later, uh, Dr. Lee came into the waiting room and sat next to me on my right with my mom to my left. And he said, we can't bring his heart rate back up. What should we do? My mom looks at me and says, can he die from this? (laughs) She hadn't been willing to accept what was happening. I asked her what dad would want. Uh, They had to have had this conversation at some point in 50 years of marriage, right? Uh, What would you want in that life or death situation? And she couldn't answer. She couldn't accept that this was happening. And I I told the doctors to stop. I told them to let him go. The doctors led us into his room where he was alive only because of the machines. His heart rate was low, his breathing was shallow, and he was slipping away. My mom laid her head on his chest, and I told the doctors to unplug the machines. I made the worst and hardest decision of my life. I have never felt more alone than I was in that moment. Why would God do this to me? I had gone to church my whole life. I had gone to a Christian school. Why? Why would he put this on me? My dad, my son's best friend, my mother's whole world, my stronghold, the strength of our family, and I had to be the one to make the decision that now was his time to leave this earthly world and take his place in heaven. Alone, scared, desperate for understanding, I remember those rim moments, and I remember asking over and over, why would God abandon us? I remember sitting on my knees on New Year's Eve the night before, praying that he would make it through, and I was failing. The following months were a living horror of a new normal. As an only child, trying to fill in for my father in a thousand ways, I struggled to find a new path. Having left our church after my father's death, my faith was wavering, and I had lost my entire foundation. A year and a half ago, my mother suggested we try that church at the Y, uh, and the sermon series was about the attributes of God, something I was struggling with. How could a loving God abandon us like this? I felt like Pastor Tim was talking directly to me and my mother. Each sermon seemed written for us alone. Many services, my mother and I would both have tears in our eyes from the power of the lessons that seemed designed specifically to answer the questions we had. It happened again this morning as I cried through our first worship song, the words of which speak to everything I have felt for the last two years. The community of this church reached out to each of us individually in ways that felt like God specifically was calling us to him. My daughter and son found friends and support groups that have led him to deeper led them to deeper foundations. My husband and I have met families and developed relationships that given us that have given us people to reach out to in times of trial. And most importantly to me, my mother, a woman who struggled most of her life with her faith, has found life group and friends to help her through hard times. The foundation and bedrock 
that I had in my earthly father has been replaced and strengthened by my faith in my Lord. When I look at the last couple of years, I think often of who I was two years ago, what path I was on, was it in service of the Lord or in service of the world? Sometimes our worlds have to be shaken and we have to be brought to our knees to make us reevaluate the life we are living. Things have not gotten easier. The pain is real and raw and there every day. The guilt and loss and responsibility that I feel will last my lifetime. But in in a particularly dark time, a friend in faith reminded me of the poem about the footprints. That when life feels the darkest and you feel the most alone, you look behind you and see one set of footprints. Those are not the moments that you have been been abandoned. Those are the moments when Christ has carried you. I try to remember that daily. My son has my father's Bible, probably not with him today. Mm -mm. And in flipping through it after his death, many of the Psalms were highlighted or underlined. This must have been a place my father turned to during his trials. So in closing, a verse from Psalms I think of often after seeing it highlighted and underlined in my dad's Bible. Psalm 9, 9 through 10. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And in the second song we sang today, um, I found that it is true. I will build my life upon your love, a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. I will not be shaken. Brianna, thank you for that wonderful testimony and how God cares for us and restores. Boy, those are hard acts to follow. Um, My name is Lois Mayer. I have a lot to be grateful for, especially my just a little older brother, Bruce, and his wife, Kathy. They've been my rock. I was asked to share my story. I was diagnosed with MS when I was about 22. I was diagnosed as a mild case. I am now 69. I've been fortunate to have had very few times that my body reminded me of this condition until a little over a year ago. I had pain in my right side of my face and head for a few weeks. It was diagnosed as trigeminal neuralgia. It hurt to swallow, even for the shower water to hit my head. Luckily, after the first medicine, medication gave me made my toes look like sausages. Um, they gave me the, something that worked. Um, I take it every day without fail. I never want to feel that pain again. Evidently, this past spring, I was not myself. I was told that I looked like the lights were on, but nobody was home. I couldn't even read my own handwriting. I fell on Sunday, May 1st. I felt lightheaded. I tried to text Kathy and evidently made no sense. She contacted my daughter-in-law who lives next door, who is a nurse, and my husband was told to take me to the emergency department. My blood pressure was 198 over whatever, and they took me right away. I had an MRI of my brain, but a cause was not determined. 
I did not have a stroke or a TIA. Pastor Tim visited and prayed with me. He and I had conversations about the tug of war I was having. At some point, I started falling at least once a day. My daughter-in-law had me see a motion specialist. I was scheduled for two MRIs, a thoracic and cervical. They showed a lot of lesions on my spine and referred me to an MS specialist. Both doctors told me they were amazed that I was not in a wheelchair. At times, I could not get to the bathroom at night by myself, even with a walker. I had to wake my husband to help me, but it was like when you're pregnant and it was like, it's time. Um, I was falling getting into bed, so my husband had to lower it a couple inches. On one occasion, my arms and legs would move, but they wouldn't do anything. Um, I scooched myself into the bedroom and said, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up. And um, he had to help me get into bed, which was not easy. I am not a small person, and I was dead weight. I can see now how fast a wheelchair could become a part of my life. Kathy kept telling me to hand everything over to Jesus. On a Tuesday, I was tired of falling at least once a day, and I looked up and said, okay, Jesus, you're on. The next day, I didn't fall. I did not stop falling completely, but was much less frequently. As a result of lots of prayers from me and others, I am able to stand here today, grateful to have been granted this gift from God. After a life-changing event early in my life, I became cynical. Why would God let this happen? I have never figured that out, but I became a stronger person and believed that things happen for a reason. Sometimes you don't know the answer. I won, I won the tug of war. I learned to let go and allow Jesus to take the wheel. He will guide my way. I'm a work in progress, but believe I am on the right track, going in the right direction. I appreciate the prayers on my behalf. My nieces and nephews and Fran Beaverson have also been a support system in my journey. Because of them, I was led to be here. I always felt that you can talk to God anywhere. I still do. But now my support system includes all of you. Thank you all, and thank you, God, for sending Jesus to give, forgive our sins, answer prayers, and leading me to this place, even though I was stubborn to accept your help. I stand before you by the grace of God. Thank you, Tim, for giving me a push. Thank you, Lois. What a wonderful testimony of obedience. At this time, I'd like to call up Aaron to tell us and give us a testimony of how God has moved in his life. Good morning. What a blessing to be a part of this church. It's not part of the testimony, but I'm so grateful that God led us here, and this morning is confirmation of that. Um, a year ago, not a year ago, but I started listening to the... Um, live stream a year ago as God was preparing for us to move and this was the first Sunday that I listened was Testimony Sunday. My name is Aaron and I want to start off just by saying that God's word is something that I've learned to love and I'm so grateful for that because the Bible doesn't simply contain truth, it is truth. It doesn't just contain the words of God, it is the word of God. From in the beginning to the final amen, Peter tells us in 2 Peter that he has granted us through the knowledge of him everything we need pertaining to this life and godliness. 
I believe that God has preserved not simply the general ideas, but the very words themselves, including those specific tenses of words, down to the very letter in the original manuscripts that are used today by translators to give us God's word in our native tongue. I don't believe there are any coincidences with God, but that through his sovereignty he has orchestrated every detail of every event of history to be a part of his eternal plan for his glory. To illustrate that, let me ask you a question about an event that we just celebrated and we know the story like the back of our hands. Yet we probably never thought about it. If God is sovereign, why did he not have a room at the inn for Mary and Joseph? Or another way to ask it, why did Jesus have to be born in a stable? I'll let you ponder that for a question as I continue. My bride of almost 20 years, Bethany, and our five children, AJ, who was also Aaron, Mariah, Isaiah, Ethan, and our youngest, Evie, or Evangeline, moved back to southern New York County after living in the border of Wyoming and Idaho in the Jackson Hole area for 13 years. I don't have time to get into the story that led us to that, but I do believe God once again orchestrated every part of that for his glory. After several years of attending a church in Jackson Hole, God led us to start attending this small little Bible church in our valley, which had between 30 and 40 families attending. While being a little intimidated by the smallness of the church at first, after some time there, I began to fall in love with these people who love the word of God, and it was evident by the life they lived outside of church. It was through my time there, being immersed in the word, that Christ revealed to me that I was one of those who would say, Lord, Lord, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, that would not enter his kingdom. Even though being raised in a Christian home, attending church weekly, even going to Bible college for a Bible degree, I struggled with the verse in James that said, even the demons believe and shudder. How is it possible that they could believe and yet spend eternity separated from God? Here you have angelic beings who at one time were around the throne of God who believed that Jesus was who he said he was, the Emmanuel, God with us, who did everything they could do to prevent Jesus from going to the cross, knowing that that's what he had to do to pay for the sins of the world. They watched him die, and they knew that he rose bodily from the dead, yet they would spend eternity in hell. Well, the reason they have no desire to accept the truth that those facts demand those truths demand that I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and that I have no rights of my own, for I am now a slave to my master, Jesus. And it's no longer me living for me, but me living according to his will for my life. The demons chose to live their lives as though Christ is not the Lord, even though they knew it to be true. And that is why I believe Paul says in Philippians that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we wait until that time, it's too late. So Christ invites all who come to confess that he is Lord based on the knowledge that he has given through this word that he is who he says he is. Having finally understood this truth for myself, my eyes were opened, my heart was softened, and I was given a new love for God's word that I had never had before. Along with a new understanding of its truth, with an ability to comprehend the deeper significance of those many verses I had known, for most of my life. It was shortly after this newfound faith 
As we're hearing a lot today, there's medical issues that God decided to put me through the biggest test of my life. Also today, January 1st, our family remembers four years ago the fear and uncertainty we had of our son Ethan's future with us on this earth. For just one week prior on Christmas Eve, he had severe pain in his side that would require surgery. While I was leading the worship for our Christian Eve service next door, my wife Bethany was at the hospital with him, waiting for an ambulance to take him to a more equipped hospital in Jackson Hole in order to have the appendectomy. I ended up driving him over <clears throat> the pass to the hospital after the service concluded due to the ambulance being delayed, and we were scheduled for an appendectomy the first thing Christmas morning, assured that we would be able to be home by the afternoon, though droggy, to celebrate Christmas as a family. Long story short, New Year's Eve, after being in the IC for, ICU for a couple days, his body started shutting down, and they were forced to life flight him to Salt Lake City to a children's hospital. Immediately, our church family kicked in, and while one family took our other four children, several ladies picked up Bethany, driving her the 70 miles to the airport, praying with her and offering support, all with the hope that she would arrive in time to join me in the flight down with Ethan. She arrived at the same time as the ambulance, and we were able to board the medical jet together to fly to Salt Lake, arriving just after midnight on January 1st. During one of the first days there, I remember praying with Bethany and telling God that we were very grateful for those six years that God had given Ethan to us. And he was a gift that we were to raise for his glory. But the situation we were in was over our heads. We were out of control. And even according to the doctors themselves, had no idea what was going on. I remember praying that while we obviously desired to have him healed and returned to us, we understood the gravity of the situation and knowing that he was not truly ours but a temporary gift that we were made stewards over, we desired that God would give us the strength and ability to honor him if he was going to take Ethan away from us. That was a major turning point for me after more than a week of uncertainty and frustration but not willing to accept the possibility that he could be taken from us. At that point, through the prayer, God brought a great peace over me, knowing this was not a surprise to him, even though it was for us, and that God had a plan with or without Ethan in our lives. After 23 days in the ICU and nearly a month total in the hospital, Ethan made a full recovery, and to this day, the doctors have no idea what caused the various issues leading to his body to shut down, and many of them said it was a, a medical miracle that he not only survived, but that he came out with no residual effects at all. So why do I tell you this story? <clears throat> For one, because God reminded me during that time of being in the hospital that he was still on his throne, and no one, nothing, will ever remove him from that throne. He knew exactly what was going on in Ethan's body, for he had formed it himself. He knew exactly what needed to happen in order for Ethan's body to heal. He alone had the power and the authority to heal if he chose to do it. As one doctor told us, they couldn't heal him, but they could provide the atmosphere by using the technology they had to keep him alive in hopes that the body would heal himself. The other reason I tell you this story is because shortly after moving here to Pennsylvania, our oldest son, AJ, informed us that since he was turning 18 in October, he was moving back to Idaho to be with his friends. After several emotional and tense conflicts, becoming con frustrated in him choosing not to honor his parents' desires and informing him that I could not give my blessing nor my support in this decision, he told us he was doing it anyway. At that moment, I became overwhelmed with so many emotions, and I just decided to pray aloud with him and my wife. In the middle of that prayer, God suddenly reminded me of something I had forgotten. 
Once again, I found myself not being in control, not knowing of anything I could do to protect my son, whom I love very much, and was about to lose, though in a different way. Not only was I not wanting him to leave his family, I was also very concerned for his physical safety, as well as, more importantly, his spiritual condition. I paused in my prayer and then began to pray that God would protect AJ and acknowledged once again that I was just a steward. Even after 18 years, I wasn't ready to give him back to the Lord yet. So I acknowledged that AJ wasn't ours, but God's, and I handed him back over to him with confidence that he would take care of AJ because just like with Ethan's sudden medical emergency, God knew that this day was coming. It didn't catch him off guard, even though once again, it was a surprise to us. Living over 2,000 miles away really limits how you can oversee and intervene when necessary, but distance doesn't inhibit God, for nothing inhibits God. And once again, I found myself relying on God, trusting his sovereignty over all situations, knowing that he has the best for us because his word tells us so. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. There is a key phrase in there that people often overlook. All things work together for whom? For those who love God. How do we know if we love God? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we desire to claim that promise, we must understand that we are to live lives of obedience to our master and nothing prepares you for the day when God asks you to give back those, he, those lives that he entrusted with you whether it be in death or those who depart your home to begin their own lives of independence. But I know that God is in control. He has the ability to do that which he has set out to do, and nothing will keep him from doing that which he has willed to do. And in that, I find great peace. In closing, I want to encourage you, as we start off this year, to fall in love with God's word. Read Psalm 19, Psalm 119. See how much the psalmist love the law of God and desire and pray that for yourself. I believe times are going to get, continue getting more and more tough for us believers in this world where he will weed out those of us who are true from those of us who are not. The more you know someone, the more you trust. The same is true with our wonderful Savior. The more you know him, the more you will trust him. And the more you trust him, the more you will love him. The best way to know him is to be in his word daily. I know this may sound like an attack, but going to church on Sundays is not enough to truly know him. If all you're doing for spiritual growth is church on Sundays, it is like being on life support. If you want to thrive, you need to be in the word of God daily. Being in his word will also give you appreciation for all that he has done and has recorded for us to show his love and concern in even the minutia of everyday life. So, why did Jesus have to be born in the stable? Why did God allow that inn to be full that night? Because where else would a lamb be born? Jesus came at the very time God planned, in the very location he had planned. And then he eventually would die on the very day of atonement to reinforce the promise that it was the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Even the place where Jesus was born was important to God, causing an inconvenience to Mary and Joseph. But what would seem like an inconvenience and unnecessary trial, God had as part of his plan from the very beginning. Trust in him today. Thank you. Amen.
Thank you, Aaron. At this time, I'd like to call up the worship team. What another wonderful testimony Sunday. We've learned that ultimately God is in control. We are not. And there is freedom in that. And that we can let go of what we think we're in control. And know that we're in the hands of a God that loves us. And even though we face trials, he is very near. He is close. And he loves us. And he'll carry us through those trials. Even though we may not think that he does. And we also have a savior. I wanted to remind you of Hebrews 4, uh, 14. As we close, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. We just praise you and thank you that you are transcendent, that you are above all things, that you are holding all things together. And you are weaving all of those things together for your glory and for our good. And that you don't just set that in motion and sit back, but that you actively come down to our situations and are very near to us and willing to work through it as we let go and as we hold fast to that confession that you are our hope, you are our savior, and you love us with an everlasting love. Even when we aren't faithful, you are faithful. We are just in awe in how you love us and how you hold us close and number every hair on our head. We just can't comprehend that. But we just praise you and thank you for sending your son, for doing the thing that we could not do, which was to get back to you, which, which was to redeem, to be redeemed and to be in the proper relationship with you. Help us now as we walk out, Lord, that we walk out with strength, knowing that you are right there, the God of the universe the God that speaks things into existence. You are there. Amen.